This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This time, we are once again back in the enemy camp, and we're joined by Arnold from the Fight Like an Animal podcast. In addition to the enemy camp, we return to the thought of one Theodore, a.k.a. Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber. This time, we look at his second major published work, Anti-Tech Revolution, Why and How. So, I'm a known cyborg and technophile and etc. Et I like my gizmos and my gadgets. And in a way, I wouldn't be who I am without my access to certain like kind of technologies, at least in my own self-conception. And so it's really awkward when you find yourself in this pit of despair, more or less, because of all of the other possibilities, not the cool ones that make you possible and, you know, that you like, but all these other possibilities that technology opens up. And for someone like me, who's always enjoyed their Datas, their R2-D2s, their their Nanos, you know, and who kind of has this identifying feeling of cyborgs and that, you know, stupid critical theory, like kind of Donna Haraway sort of way, on, you know, being like a queer woman and, you know, birth control is HRT and all this stuff, you know, the nice Hegelian product of civilization that communism can, you know, usher into uh, a world historic, I don't know, universal, blah, 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 all this kind of nice technophilic feminist visions that I I have in my work and my thoughts and, and, you know, sort of throughout the scope of my life. It's incredibly awkward to look at the toll that technology is actually taking on the planet and on the psyche. And, you know, there's Swampside listeners will know that there was a point where I got a bit contrarian of dealing with the standard left wing talking points. And I was like, I don't know, you know maybe people are exaggerating that the the climate will eliminate human life or the the climate will eliminate the possibility for life itself to be on the planet. You know, why should we assume these extreme like outcomes? That seems irrational. Enter Fight Like an Animal. Fight Like an Animal is a podcast that is as structured and well thought out as Swampside is unstructured and shooting the ship. <laughs> and, um, and I think it's, it makes a really elegant uh, case for being a, you know, a realist about being behavioral science and incorporating that into a scientific worldview, which is something scientists are bad at. And people that are like science fans, they're not exactly scientists, but you know, have this like fan, like appreciation for science. They're not very good at. So when you, get a good sense of where physical science is at, where behavioral science is at, you're stuck with a picture 
that we're on the road to a very, very, <laughs> very, very difficult place with our planet. And not everyone is as sensitive to this information as we are. And so what's an ethical individual to do about it? It's my pleasure to welcome Arnold Schroeder from Fight Like an Animal on Swampside. Hey, Arnold. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. This is part of our In the Enemy Camp series where we read reactionaries. But I think that like more than anything, when I'm approaching this stuff, it's from a sort of desperate place. And I'm really looking at maybe like a radical founder of ecological, radical ecological theory or something, something that would be incorporated into some greater, like, I don't know, worldview of whatever revolution is to come. I don't know. Cause like when I read this, I mean, this really brought me back around to, cause like when I, we, last uncle Ted, we read, you know, since, since then he's really become memefied in a way that he hadn't before. Sort of like nine 11. Like I saw, I mean, I know it's fake on the internet. Everything's fake on the internet, but somebody was saying they were teaching a class of, you know, little baby zoomers or whatever the next generation is. I forget. And when it got to 9-11 in history, they were like, the kids all perked up like, oh, it's the thing. It's the meme. And I feel like, I feel like they're like, Un- Uncle Ted has become a meme. Of, I mean, he was a little bit at the time we talked about it previously, but even more so now. Well, I but mean, it, the, the album, like the, the cover for that episode is Weird Al Yankovic as the Unabomber, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now he's like, it's like the thing of, you know. Anytime, like, some new level of human depravity is showcased on the internet, someone will post, like, a picture of his mugshot and be like, we must, you know, abandon industrial society and a a B-roll of, like, power plants imploding and shit like that. And he's become the sort of avatar for the alienation that people feel is being produced by the internet or, you know, just modern society, right, in general, right? But at the same time, really digging into his work again more clearly does suggest to me that actually this these are the writings of a madman. And I also think it's an interesting moment to be discussing this as well, because we're at a moment where globally, uh, it looks like we're going to have some problems with uh, crop shortages that seems to be climate change induced, you know, in the coming harvest. We're also, we're also facing, we're also in a moment where some Google engineer is claiming that uh, the Google combined AI structure has attained a form of sentience that he is arguing should be considered uh, legally protected. And he might not be wrong. <laughs> so so this is a very interesting moment uh, to be talking about this stuff. It's um, so interesting that, that you are like definitely madman because I, so I had never read any Ted Kaczynski. I have no. been in movements where Ted Kaczynski was earnestly debated for decades, but I've never been like, I need to read this guy's shit because he really, he clearly has some unique insight. Like my perspective really? was always, yeah, I was always really like, this is like standard fare. Like if I read some Ted Kaczynski, this is going to be some stuff I have definitely heard elsewhere. And when I read it, I was like, yeah, I, I wasn't wrong. Like neither genius nor madman, or maybe he's like a mathematical genius or whatever. Sure. But in terms of the political perspective he's offering, I was definitely like, I know a lot of people who fundamentally just kind of think these exact same things and are about as capable of expressing it. You know, like they, they're just yeah. not famous because they didn't kill anybody. Right. But, but even that, 
is like really just a question of degree. I mean, the the kind of first wave of the Earth Liberation Front um, really essentially broke up over debates about whether it was mm -hmm. time to just start killing people. You know, like mm -hmm. it it wasn't like totally not on anybody else's mind or anything. And so I I definitely recall at the time he was arrested and subsequently it comes up, you know, like you can tell a lot about somebody's worldview by how insane they think Ted Kaczynski is or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I've definitely seen efforts to portray him as like utterly alien to the rest of us, like either too insanely cryptically smart or just too nuts, but like, but like one of the two. And when I read Anti-Tech mm -hmm. Revolution, I was really like, I don't see either of those traits like screamingly apparent. I mean, he is a uniquely American kind of crazy dude. Like this is not, I don't, I'm not trying to, I, I, say, I guess I, when I say madman, that sounds like Wagner-esque or Nietzschean or grandiose. I mean, like, guy at the bus station, madman. Oh, totally. No, I mean, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that, like, that whole thing of being, like, I embrace this ethic of freedom and living self-sufficiently and being in the wild. Like, I mean, I was a crazy homeless person who hopped trains all over the country in the 90s, and you would talk to tons of, like, vets and stuff. Who, who would like philosophize about their condition mm -hmm. in pretty much the same yeah. terms. You know, they'd mm -hmm. be like, I don't ever want to be like locked in some box working for some, you know, overlord, like typing away some numbers. Like mm -hmm. I'll just be out here, you know, where I'm free. And I, yeah. I really think Ted Kaczynski is just one of those guys with that kind of PTSD. And I think that does help explain like how he got where he got tactically, like that he actually did cross that threshold into killing people. But I guess I just don't feel like his ideas are that unique. Well, certainly not in this book. I'm I can't believe you've never read yeah, never Industrial Society and its future because when I was first listening to Fight Like an Animal, I'm like, oh, Arnold's just going over everything in an in industrial society in his future and making much better arguments that are in his reactionary. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. Like, but obviously, you know if you're working on the same subject and they're exposed to the same kind exactly. of constellation of shit and, you know, think that these things are important, you can independently come to that. And if, you know, if you're coming from this milieu or this is like a hotly debated text, you know, you, you would naturally touch on the way that the left subsumes, you know, in, environmentalism in a way that can, you know, just like, it, he doesn't even put it as strongly in this book if anything, he seems like he's trying to distance himself from the neo-reactionaries that, if we're honest about the way that internet meme culture has like worked up until this point, the, the 4chan like far right has been a weird meme vanguard. It's like kind of disgusting actually. But Nazis really like Ted, Ted Kaczynski as a sort of jumping off point for modernity. Like uh, contemporary Nazis, you know, obviously very different, very meany, uh, uh, different ideas about sexual degeneracy, considering they come from an anime message board. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just saying. Um, and yeah, like he's become a sort of weird uh, figure among what they call, quote, neo reactionaries online, but even like some of the more orthodox ones that will still you know, still use, like, downright antiquated, like, uh, anti-Semitic kind of memery 
that some of the, some parts of the far right are, are simply beyond. They're like, yeah. whatever, Israel's the Jewish vanguard of white civilization. You know, you people are edge cucks for you know, dressing up like Nazis, like this is stupid. But those edge cucks like are, are engaged with Ted Kaczynski in this weird way. Well, yeah, and it, it just has it, it's adjacent to that kind of school shooter, like Joker fight, you know, sort of angry young man thing. And when you look at his body count, it kind of looks quaint compared to like your, you know, your dime a dozen mass shooter that we have going around now. Like the FBI spent like 50 million dollars to bring this guy down. And he didn't actually he only he only actually succeed. He hurt a lot of people like he got a lot of bombs go off. But like only three only three people actually died. I think a lot of that was because he was too good at hiding who he was. And people just love a mystery. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was very good at like throwing in red herrings and, you know, leaving yeah, throwing people off clues. He didn't he literally didn't get caught until he published his manifesto in the Washington Post and his brother saw it. Yeah. His brother um, saw the phrase eat his eat your cake and have it too and was like you know, I my brother-in-law really hates the, you know, eat, eat have your cake and eat it too idiom because he doesn't think it makes any sense because he's some crazy mathematician or something. And oh my god, is the Unabomber my brother-in-law? I love that story. Like, that's how I would get caught for, you know, that kind of thing if I didn't transition and snapped like Auntie Ted. Um, Yeah, that's something like that's something like a detail like Columbo would have noticed. And that's what would have brought it. If you you sick Columbo on the Unabomber. (laughs) Anyway, that's obviously what happened in our cultural imagination. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, one thing's clear reading this is that uh, in prison, uh, Teddy's been reading some Lenin. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, just an ode to daddy like can we can we just appreciate how marxist this book is in this in this like hilarious way like, well we're straight up with like try some entryism like like on all these different fronts it's just sort of like and, and i really and i really wonder i mean okay it, he like cites lenin very approvingly a huge number of times but i also kind of wonder how much he's actually read about the russian revolution because he's definitely going full on like Lenin was just completely in control the whole time. Like the whole Russian revolution was Lenin's master plan kind of stuff where I'm like, how many books about this have you read? You know, well, he's got he's got to be going off the prison library. I can't imagine that the that Supermax is going to be super pleased that he's getting, you know, all these like all, a lot of radical theories sent in there. You know what I mean? Well, it, admittedly, and he says this and like early on is that, you know, his sources are limited to the prison library and like Encyclopedia Britannica. And like, so, (laughs) so like they probably don't, he probably doesn't, doesn't have access to Mike Duncan's fabulous uh, series on the Russian revolution that just concluded when he uh, wrote this book and um, or any, any like, like a lot of history books. Cause he sounds like a trot actually. He sounds, and so let it, let it be understood to, you know, what crimes are sects committing at the very least is that they educate their cadre as if they were in prison. Well, well, he's he's well. The thing is, too, it's it's also I think a matter of his interest. He's not really interested in governing uh, society. He's interested in Lenin, like the revolutionist, right? He's interested in the Bolsheviks as insurrectionists, and he's not just interested in the Bolsheviks. Like he looks at Castro and a whole host of other historical figures, and trying to understand how it is that this political tendency that he advocates uh, could you know, basically develop power. And even in the, in the previous section, 
what he essentially argues is that the model that he looks to as an ideal model almost is Irish nationalism and that he seeks to implement a goal that once once it's stated, it almost doesn't matter who's in charge after that because it's going to be just very hard to go back on it. Yeah, so um, this, is, uh, this is in one way that Ted Kaczynski is clearly better than uh, Mike McNair on revolutionary strategy. This is something that Tom O'Brien of From Alpha to Omega would, would constantly remark on. I can't believe that, you know, this guy's going on about revolutionary strategy without talking about the Irish uh, revolution and the, and the nationalists. <laughs> like, come on, like, that's like a clear example of what you know, this revolutionary patience that McNair is talking about. Well, Uncle Ted's got you covered, Tom. Um, so, you know, Michael Collins is in there as a great revolutionary figure. And if you think about it, there's a very, what, what Ted does have in common with, you know, the old, like, uh, sort of common sense American, you know, ideology and the sort of pantheon of reactionaries is this, you know, history is made by great men kind of way of looking at things. And what makes him Marxist to me is he has a way of denying this as well, that, you know, Marxists, like someone like Stalin or Lenin, like concentrates all this power and then says, listen, history isn't made by individuals. So if I didn't do this, someone else would have done it. And then they, they just do something like that, you know, you can't do without concentrated power, <laughs> like extremely concentrated power in a way. That's hard well, to do what, outside of a technological society. What he seems to be saying is that there are these currents to history and that if you can if you if you have enough determination, you and a group of other similarly determined people can tap into these currents and use that momentum to, you know, drive things forward in the way that you want, right? Well, um, you can drive things forward, but in the way that you want is is subject to a whole there's a whole chapter, chapter one. Mm-hmm. is the development of a society can never be subject to rational human control. And so, like, I feel like this whole chapter is uh, is fleshing out this old Marxian kind of maxim, you know, history is made by men, but, you know, it's not done so as, as they please. It's done with all this, you know, baggage and, you know, history works behind their back or whatever. That's a paraphrase. Um, right, but he takes he takes the side, he basically uses this to argue that Basically, human beings don't really have any agency against, like, the vast technological apparatus that they've created. It is weird how that cut that cuts against what he seems to be arguing later. It's a hard pivot. Yeah. But that, um, this, is, this is a classic Marxist thing to do, <laughs> is have this determinate structuralism that penetrates your very soul and, you know, your atoms are capitalist. <laughs> but also, we're going to overturn it. We're going to destroy it. <laughs> But here's here's what, here's what makes it absurd though, because his, like his view is very different from Marxist. Like a lot of his, because here here's what I, I was struggling to understand reading this. Like, what does he think technology is? This is something that he goes over in Industrial Society and its future, which we read like I don't know three years ago, so it should be fresh in everyone's mind. <laughs> but I think the societies that, or excuse me. The thing that he most subjects to, I was going to say, and Arnold, you can check me on this, but you really can't, um, <laughs> is is um, is mass communications and uh, logistics are are the things that he most objects to. But through like there's an appendix in his book where he talks about Easter Island, and 
he thinks that on um, and I for those that don't know the story of Easter Island, I barely know it. It's an island. Uh, there's like an, an island uh, uh, tribe, basically that, if I understand correctly, like cut down too many trees and like. Yeah, they also had like a there. rat infestation problem, and their numbers kind of greatly diminished. I think they went from like fifteen thousand at their peak to like two thousand people. Okay, uh, so you know more about this than I do. Um, yeah, when when the when Europeans showed up and found their society. Okay. Um, and um and so the the the, the heads on on the island the big uh, sculptures are the famous like uh, cultural image of Easter Island anyway Ted Kaczynski seems to see this as evidence for his thesis about how bad technology is so Easter Island is too <laughs> has too much technology uh, is is at least one benchmark that I I think we can hold him to if if that appendix is to be believed. Well, a lot of, from what I understand, a lot of what he gets is from uh, Jacques Ellul, who wrote the Technological Society, which he read uh, in the 1960s. Um, and Ellul has this definition of what he calls technique. But what he's basically, and Ellul basically rejects Marxism, but what he basically says the problem with technology is what Marx identifies as the transition from absolute to relative surplus value. Uh, but he he identifies this in increasing efficiency and that at some point the because and this is a tension i i looked through some of his book i didn't get very far but there's this tension where really like human technique is literally how we get food and always has been you know for as long as we were had like some measure of sentience this guy basically identifies it well at some point that becomes bad and there's some qualitative to quantitative shift that happens you know you could put it in agriculture you could put it in industrialization or whatever but to me like his teddy kaczynski's like conception of like what technology is and how it relates to human beings is essentially is is at its base nonsensical and i think that's why to me this looks like the writings of a madman he behaves as if technology is not something that is integral to who, who people what people who and what people are I mean, I, you know, couldn't agree more that technology really does constitute us. And at a basic level, when I first read Industrial Society in his future, there's this one part where he lists how, like, the horrible human pathologies that it creates. And basically, like, you know, cross-dressing and transsexuality and weird gender expression is just lumped in there with all kinds of, like, actual horrors. And I'm like, oh, man, so this... Okay. All right, Queen. I think I know what's happening. Like on a basic psychological level, like you're, you're like, fuck, civilization made me a girl. I hate this thing. Fuck this thing. So I, I feel like that there is some truth there. So, and I don't, I don't, but I don't also want to be too reductive and dismissive because outside of the psychological realm, there's this physical truth about what capitalism is doing aside from how we communists feel about it. And like, okay, like I, I wish that I could just take all the capitalist stuff and make it real nice to the earth. And, you know, so everyone can keep getting their hormones and, you know, we don't like melt the biosphere. And, but you know, that's not c completely independent of my wishes. Like the truth about the environment is the truth about the environment, the truth about our relationship and what are like the, the kind of technology we pursue 
in part because of capitalism, but in but you know, in, in large part because of the the nation state system that capitalism kind of has as its global management. Like uh yeah, like that reality's still there. even if even if, you know, this is all just like a pathological reaction to something. Like there there is like a basic I don't know. There's a basic truth here that like we are, we we do have to attack some how do I put this? A bunch of technology wouldn't serve us in communism. Like a bunch of it won't. A bunch of it is for is for like the purposes of like obscene, you know, mass hu- human control that could only corrupt our future world or something. Mm-hmm. Like Right, but to manage that stuff, yeah. you have to have an integrated global world system. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you can't. I'm sorry. Like he, he, like, and that's the thing. He's never clear about like how exactly this Luddite Leninist the fusion vanguard is going to bring about the collapse of this stuff. Because if you collapse, the, we talked about this before, obviously. But if you collapse these systems, you would have like a mass death event, you know, unparalleled in history. And, and he isn't willing to just come out and say that, right? He's not willing to say, like, we need to get some people together to, I don't know, like, nuke everything, and then we'll, you know, do Posadaism or something. You know, like, he, he isn't willing. He, 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 was, he, he does make points in favor of nuclear war. As, he, yes. As, yeah, he, he, he says you it, have to be able thing. to bite. You have to be able to bite. Come on, nuclear war? You're going to have to deal with, like, at, at least nuclear war to end technology. Are you kidding? Like. Yeah, he says it isn't the worst thing that could happen. It's like, yeah, come on. If you're not willing to have sit through nuclear war, you should just fucking get used to technology right now, kid. Like to paraphrase. Well, yeah, and the first the first section, a lot of it is like that. A lot of it is him talking about, you know, this is maybe what feels like it's a little bit pointed at you or me, where he's like, people read this stuff more out of a uh, therapeutic function than it is to actually like accomplish anything, right? Hey, I got a grift going. Okay, I'm 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 an enterpriser. I'm a mover and shaker. I'm an I'm an influencer. Okay, I manipulate people. Okay, I I I, <laughs> yeah. I put people's hopes over their heads and and come on, like give me some credit. All right, like fuck, you know you work so yeah. hard to to like you know puppet people's hopes over their heads and they just they give you no credit. You know, as if as if we're just in it for our own psychological needs. Ah. I mean, we're just he, trying to work ourselves out, you know. We're just trying to. Ah, uh, oh no, this is more more post post material identity stuff. Jeez. I mean, he does he does have this he, he does have this uh, you know a good point of critique of like the lack of seriousness of leftists and so forth. But I think it's easy for him to do that because you know he's such an antisocial person. So you know he doesn't understand that you know some of the some of the pathology of the left is it's a lot of people trying to herd cats and get a group of people together on some kind of collective project, right? And that's what gives people a sense of stakes in some of these debates, right? Even even if that's not really working. So, But it's easy for him to just be like, you know, y'all aren't serious, you all suck, you know. Like, that's how that's how his, his political program, as he enacted it, was to go in the woods and send bombs to people randomly. Well, not randomly, but randomly enough that it would throw the feds off the scent for a while. But, you didn't um, have to send it to Grandpa Chomsky, is all I'm saying. Like... <laughs> Leave anarchy grandpa out of this. Like, come on. 
you know, just well, because you're upset about the left. We're all upset about the left, okay? Well, I mean, the, I guess the method to the madness there that links up with what he's trying to do is if you, okay, so if you believe like technology is like the great Satan, like taking down human society, you basically want, if you're going to try and kill some people, the people you would kill would be the ones who understand how to take, who are educated and understand how to take the concepts developed through abstraction and apply them to the physical world, you know, into in the form of technique. And so, yeah, I guess you would start with the intellectuals there. And that, that's kind of what puts him in the same kind of political meme spaces like Pol Pot. I but, don't think he has. I, I mean, I really I agree with you, though. I don't think he has a rigorous definition of technology. And I think that if you leave it as amorphous as he does, then you really are actually just saying that you're opposed to human evolution. You're really saying that like core cognitive like features of the species and our core relational modes to the environment were just like a misstep like literally millions of years ago you know especially even if you if you focus on that like you know he's really obsessed with like the aspect of control and like mass mm -hmm. scale or whatever that technology enables but this this gets into that whole like we're we're ancestral humans like tiny bands like you know like right. tiny scattered egalitarian bands or were they managing whole landscapes with fire and actually engaged in like you know like mass communication that took a little while longer than it currently does but that still created fairly cohesive cultural complexes over like whole continents and stuff you know mm -hmm. and, and at that point you you really are sort of like i don't know which is always this is my complaint with kind of all this stuff is like that there's supposed to be like no matter how cleverly it's phrased you're supposed to have like a wholesale acceptance or rejection of a given technological threshold or the idea of technology itself like you're either supposed to be like for or against everything that comes after agriculture or like for or against technology and i don't think i mean which just gets really actually gets into the whole question of what does it mean to destroy technology because there's these human capacities, like it came from nothing other than our own, you know, innate capacities interacting with the environment. And I'm not really sure like what you, it's not, you can't just like blow up enough power stations that people <laughs> suddenly like lack the capacity for technical innovation or to like manipulate their environment. You know, there's no, and all that is just like totally left really, but again, it often is in radical environmental literature. like. Technology is something you're supposed to kind of understand intuitively that doesn't need like axiomatic definition. But you know, you, you did a whole episode on uh, how you couldn't even take out the current like logistics grid with, you know, by right. mapping out the choke points because it's an adaptive system. And that's what it's like to fight an adaptive system. <laughs> uh, no, and there's a there's a part of this, like where he's basically he ends up contradicting himself where he's basically like um, the expected answer to the foregoing will be even granting that the behavior of society, of society is unpredictable in the long term. It may be nevertheless possible to steer society rationally by means of, con of continual short-term interventions. To take an analogy, if they let a car without a driver roll down a rugged, irregular hillside, the only prediction we can make is that the car will not follow any predetermined course, but will bounce around erratically. However, if the car has a driver, it may be able to steer it so as to avoid the worst bumps and make it roll instead through relatively smooth places. With a good deal of luck, he may even be able to make the car arrive approximately at a pre-selected point at the foot of the hill. This is from his section where he's basically talking about how societies are incapable of 
like long term planning, and that's why we're headed for this massive catastrophe. Which in the game in the gamified scenarios he's laying out here, like this section is probably maybe the strong I think probably the strongest section of the book where he's sort of laying out the numerous problems and the the structural inability of the system, especially at this point, to take into account uh, long-term advantages and sacrificing everything at the altar of short-term benefits for the actors within it. That is, I think, pretty objectively correct. But I think he he builds that out into this like trans-historical thing to suggest that human beings are themselves completely incapable of doing that under any circumstances. And I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I mean... It's not the kind of thing you can know. Like, yeah, the, yeah you can, exactly. And like, you know, part of saying that he doesn't have a very like, you know, clear goal is to go by some of his revolutionary criteria, which we should actually, I think, read out his, you know, his like four like propositions that he, you know, he's a very mathematical style, you know, he, this, this guy knows, he probably read how to prove it, you know, and like learn how to do set theory and all, and all, all that like good stuff. This guy knows like how to write like that. So even, even more so than a lot of like people who style themselves as analytical philosophers or something, this guy can, you know, write, uh, you know, in terms of propositions and blah, blah, blah. And in fact, like this is, you know, this is like a hell world version of the pro-revolutionary analytical Marxism that, you know, I've always wanted. Um <laughs> <laughs> so you have this guy that's like, yeah, you should just kind of like abandon the idea of like, uh, <laughs> you, you can't reconcile any of this new freedom with old freedom. It's just, you you know, this is all just stupid. And uh, you have to oppose it wholesale. And what does that mean? I don't know. Don't look at it too close. Um, is that, yeah, you know, you, this... if, you, if you develop a precise de- definition, you're doing technology, man. We <laughs> also need to be, we stu- need to like get real stupid, you know? Well, it, it's a shame because one what, one of his you know criteria for you know being a successful revolutionary is develop a clear goal and be single minded about it. In fact, it seems like the thing that he likes the most about Lenin is that Lenin was a fucking loser that had no, nothing else going on in his life, and he was just all about the rev all the time. Like and and that he was living for the rev. He was living rev to rev. You know what I mean? Like that's it. Like mm-hmm. and so it's good to maybe it's maybe you want that kind of single-mindedness if you're a you know deranged like, like i mean that, there's just, there's, just there's a definite already girl come on like, there's a, def- there's a definite advantage to that way of approaching things for sure uh, yeah if you're not going to engage with your own like personal alienation and you know like just like most i don't know anyway <laughs> if you're not going to engage with your own personal alienation you want to live that like that you can like and and you know to be fair the society is like perfectly destructive it, you know it could be a just life it could be a you know a good fight like, well also just in terms of like personally you know like there is a, there are advantages to specialization there are advantages to just you know having a singleness of singleness of purpose in in anything you know but if you, like, but if you make the singleness of purpose changing the whole world it's so mm-hmm. you know for, for most people like the horizons of most people and i do think there's a rationality to this is that like if you make your goals, if you make your whole life about changing the whole world, how likely is it that your life's purpose is a failure? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, uh, rather than people that are, you know, that can enjoy life, they set achievable goals and, and they achieve them and it means something to them. And, you know, curse them for being able to set such, you know, such achievable goals and be satisfied with them. 
but perhaps there's a rationality to that, that, you know, someone like, Hey, look, you know, Lenin caught the wave, but most people that live like Lenin live a very frustrated. I mean, that's, that's true about anybody who's ambitious though. You know, like that's for, right. every, for every Mike that's, Tyson, yes. there's like a million guys who, you know, just working out in the gym and, you know, maybe have a few fights and wash out, you know, in all fairness, it is so hard to deescalate from that stuff. That mm-hmm. there's like a there's a simple practical argument to just like utterly committing to revolution. Once you've crossed certain yes. thresholds or just like taking it to a certain place, it's like pretty dangerous to try to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you've been kicked out of the country. Yeah, like that's one yeah. of the thresholds. Yeah. yeah, that's a threshold. But like, um, you know, he's pretty hard on socialists and communists for having a fucking mealy mouth objective. And but and he even goes to say like the establishment of a democratic government is not a very clear and precise objective because there are considerable differences between the various kinds of governments that are t- today called quote democratic. But democratic government is at least a much clearer objective than such vague goals as freedom, equality, justice, socialism, or protecting the environment. And then and and so it, he's saying that to say hey um, establishing democracy is a good goal because it, it, or a better goal than, you know, freedom, justice, socialism, the American way, whatever, because it's clearer. But then he goes on to say, yeah, but you can reverse this. Like, <laughs> and, and so one of, one of his points, and this is something, and maybe I'm, I'm assuming too much, but like, there's a couple, there's a couple things in common that Ted has with, you know, the uh, super bong rip, ultra avant, left like bespoke communist anarchist mashup theory that you get in communization uh that you know the revolution is a process it's not it's you know not something that could be drawn out or it will be corrupted necessarily ted k has a decent survey of attempts to root out corruption in transitional kind of regimes and you know even points to the bolsheviks uh, who intentionally try to do it and fail as you know more proof of this and you know what ted k is a very good leninist in that you know he praises he praises the gains of the revolution but he, he also offers criticism you know I, I is anyone else tickled by what like how, how it's mostly marxist except he'll throw in calvin and hitler sometimes <laughs> like it's just so weird like if i would if i became like a, a meme Nazis favorite philosopher and I wanted to piss them off I would write a whole book praising communists and then in the yeah. footnotes be like yeah Hitler was kind of a tool anyway <laughs> yeah, I mean he, he I mean he doesn't like his Nazi fans he doesn't yeah. like his Nazi fans Nazi fans fuck off and, yeah, and he has a lot of rational incentives to like because he is in prison you know what I mean but he so. thinks but but he thinks that adding like anti-capitalism or anti-globalization or e- things that are a direct consequence or have a direct causal relationship to technology, he thinks that focusing on those things would be a waste of energy, but also a waste of focus because they would take your eye off the real enemy, man. It'd be a distraction in, in time, but also in ideology. So do you, what do you think he thinks of pairing his anti-tech stuff with, I don't know, meme Nazis or TERFs, you know, like literally, like, do you, do you think that 
if, if he wants to staple his, uh, he, he doesn't want to staple his thing to something that's directly causally related, like anti-capitalism. Does he really want to take on all this other like LARPy historical baggage? Like, I think that the survey actually says no. Even if he's personally transphobic, he would be like, hey, look, like I hate myself and everything, but but I don't want, I, I don't think that you should put more time into this JK Rowling stuff. You know, you meme <laughs> Nazis, like, I, I really think that you're not single-minded enough. You should be more like Lenin. You, you know, you have to like stop, you know, stop jerking off to anime. Like just, mm-hmm. just focus on the revolution. Like, I mean, well, they, I mean, they killed Abe for that. So probably not be the wisest uh, thing to advocate for, but I mean, okay. So maybe we could just try and conceptualize what he imagines happening. I, so I think, you know, he sees the precarity of the complex systems of modern, like late capitalist society it's going to come up against like massive environmentalist shifts that it won't be able to adapt to fast enough, which will cause the system to start to collapse. And, you know, things like, you know, you might be seeing like a microcosm of this. So like the food shortages and and fuel shortages in Sri Lanka have collapsed the government there. Now you have people like smoking weed at the presidential palace. Right. So for him, I think, I think he wants, he wants to basically advance the, he wants a Vanguard party, that will literally at one point he says sell newspapers, but he backtracks a little bit and says maybe it'll have to be all, somewhat online or all online. So he's not completely behind the times. But we need a vanguard party to basically convince people that the real problem is technology itself. And as these systems start to cascade in failure, this will lead like insurrectionary groups to start like fucking up, you know, power stations and you know like transportation and electrical grids and shit like that and basically destroy the system as it exists and then we can all basically like go back to nature is would that be maybe like an accurate characterization of what he what he kind of imagines happening yeah but specifically specifically that the system is so irredeemably wrecked that it takes I, I'm not directly quoting, but like pretty closely paraphrasing that it takes at least centuries to rebuild if uh-huh. indeed it can ever be rebuilt. So that's yeah. the like, that's the like ostensibly clear concept is like there's a threshold of damage that you're trying to achieve. And it's when the whole thing would take centuries to rebuild. And I am skeptical that this point exists. Yeah, you would need, like, the Snake Plissken EMP bomb from the end of Escape from L.A. or something. What's it to be, Plissken? Us or them? Shut down the third world. They lose, you win. Shut down America. You lose, they win. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So what are you going to do? Disappear. He's entered the world code. Sir, that'll shut down the entire planet. I told you you'd better hope I didn't make it back. You push that button. Everything we've accomplished for the past 500 years will be finished. Our technology, our way of life, our entire history. We'll have to start all over again. For God's sakes, don't do it, Snake! Pliskin. 
Well, and that that is literally so another another like Bible to how we're going to like destroy industrial civilization through sabotage is, uh, you know, deep green resistance and particularly the chapter decisive ecological warfare, wherein Eric McVeigh literally says perhaps eco saboteurs should begin using EMPs. Which, yeah, like, you know, get at me when you've got an EMP for me. But until then, yeah. Well, Arnold, I have good news for you is that anytime you set off a nuclear device, it automatically does an EMP. So all we need to do is get our hands on a nuclear device. Okay. Yeah, I learned that from a film as well, because that's where most of my tactical uh, imaginary is, is is in films. Uh, We we could dispatch them in hand-to-hand combat probably pretty easily. Probably. Okay, so I just can we can we skip ahead a little bit to like the kind of like absurdist ending that of that this that this book had or this whatever I guess the booklet has. Let's see. Of course, technology can be used by rebels too against the established power structure. Thus, a future revolution probably will not be carried out in the same way as any of the revolutions of the past or present. Instead, the outcome will depend heavily on technological manipulations both by the authorities and the revolutionaries. The importance for revolutionaries of technological competence is therefore evident. Yeah, Uncle Ted says learn to code. Okay, so you, you create this vanguard that's very good at technology, and then like they take down the technological society, but then they know how to do more technology when in the ashes or whatever. I mean, again, maybe he's accounting. He's- if you're a real Leninist... You know yeah, I was going to say, is, is he counting on like a He's red thermidor? on the purges, yeah. <laughs> you got to count on the purges to get rid of all the people that know how to rebuild it. It's the only way. It's okay. a tried and true method. He's learning from history. He's applying the science. He's a mathematician. He understands what he's doing. No, I mean, that's, that is the, the inference. And <clears throat> if you're really serious about what Stalin was trying to eradicate or something, he did not do so. Like... He, he did a good job of eliminating all the people that knew how to defend the country right before the Nazis invaded. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, other, other than that, like, no, no, he didn't accomplish his goals of, you know, ridding the uh, bureaucracy of saboteurs or something. Like, <laughs> So what we've kind of sketched out here is roughly his idea. But the thing is, at base, like, the, I believe this is an argument where you actually can say human nature renders his ideas invalid human nature oh but human nature just no i'm just kidding i'm not gonna say human nature doesn't make sense i'm just joking i'm just kidding human nature renders ideas invalid if it's human nature to engage with your environment technologically and innovate uh in a way in which to just because you're kind of you know people are kind of lazy in a way if 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 that's part of human nature then sure i think that's that's like uh up for debate and it's sort of one of those automatic tendencies that are posited by kind of evolutionary sociologists that people look at askance. Arnold, how do you feel about this? I I really do. I mean, I actually feel like human nature, like one of the easy aspects of it to define is this tendency to manipulate the environment in a way that I think constitutes technology in Kaczynski's eyes. Yeah. that's, That's like a tendency even preceding Homo sapiens. Right. That that's like right. that's like intrinsic to a whole lot of our evolutionary trajectory. And this is even sort of controversial just out just outside of the, like, I don't know, in uh, in the, the analytical Marxists, these like kind of, I don't know, 
like to think of them as pocket protector Marxists, tried to apply a bunch of, you know, 1970s, 1980s, like social science standards to Marxism. One of them is an analytical philosopher that tried to, you know, render the theory of historical materialism to be consistent or something. And one of the tendencies he posits is this tendency of rationality to try to like do labor saving. And a lot of people have a problem with this, even within Marxism, you know, so not talking about like, you know, eco extremist environmentalist stuff, like, you know, just talking about within Marxist circles. This is, I think, a bit controversial, but here in this room right now, it's not. So I like this room. (laughs) In some ways, he reminds me, he has a similar catastrophism that reminds me of looking at like Baudrillard. But I think that, you know, in some ways I have more respect for like the nihilism of Baudrillard than this weird kind of like fetishistic disavowal that he engage that Kaczynski engages in where he's like, you know, like he really, God damn it. He really is an American where it's like, he's like, no, I'm built different though. Like my thing's different. Like you, you left us and you like Marxist, like you're stupid. Like that's all fantasies, but I'm, I'm different, dude. So he knows the value of keeping to his own brand. He's not a narco primitivist or he's not one of these radical, you know, environmentalists like, or environmentalist justice people like what, but you know what this is, but this, that's a Marx thing too. You establish your own terms. You don't want to be conflated. You need to be understood as your own. But at least there was like some kind of like philosophical grounding in Marx. Like it does seem like he went to the bottom and developed a basis and like built out this. There's like a hollow thing missing at its center. And a lot of it is just him talking about talking around it you know, talking around this, like, okay, there's this thing that's causing all the alienation. I've decided it's technology and not like the structure of social relations, you know, for instance. Uh, And so we just have to get rid of technology, whatever that means that like that to me is like the weak point here. And I think that's what maybe, you know, that's what, yeah, distinguishes it from Marxism, like in a bad way. (laughs) Yeah. It also gives it a lot of like common ground with Marxism though. And like, well, I actually appreciate, Bo- so Baudrillard has this whole thing where, you know, freedom, a weird kind of freedom can emerge in, like, terror, like, in the simulation or something. Kind of reminds me of the, the stuff you did, Arnold, on simulants, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, it, like it, you know, Arnold does, has a series called Fight Like an Animal, like, t- uh, 2050, where he's been doing the pot, same podcast for 30 years, which is resonant to me because Swampside is like six years old. <laughs> that makes me feel old. And, um, and so like, and there's like a whole subculture of simulants, some of which kind of get off, like, you know, doing these, like broadcasting themselves, doing like these, you know, crazy, like existential jackass stunts basically. And like, uh, I don't know. Baudrillard has this whole thing where if you engage with the simulation, you get this weird new form of freedom. And the only way to really puncture it is terrorism. That really rhymes with the whole experience of Ted Kaczynski, right? Because how does Ted Kaczynski enter into our consciousness? It's because he sent a bunch of mail bombs. And maybe he's just, you know, uh, your your standard post-left, you know, like uh, <laughs> Berkeley guy, you know, without the, without the letter bombs. Um but I think I think it's worth acknowledging that, like, as kind of mealy mouth as, as his like goal is, you know, Ted Kaczynski is revolutionary in a way that you know Jean Baudrillard is not. Baudrillard's nihilism is is coming from a sort of resignation, being like, God damn, my enemy is so good, my enemy is so good that I have to develop a new way of talking about. 
how thoroughly we've been defeated. Like, and to, to even gesture at what kind of hope comes next, I need to like make up a whole like, you know, critical theory cinematic universe to try to talk about it. Like, whereas, you know, like this, this, this guy is, it, I don't know, there's an authenticity here that is, you know, if you're a Marxist, authenticity really doesn't take you very far. Uh, that's why sometimes Marxists tend to be pretty awful people, but one of, one of the ways that there's a, I don't know, how, how, how meaningful is it to be, to be, you know, super authentic about a revolutionary philosophy that has as mealy mouth of a bottom line as this. I mean, right. Like there's, there's a good reason to have some irony about it. Well, I mean, it was so weird about the thing is too, like with Kaczynski on some level, if you think about it, like his bombing campaign was in a way kind of a massive series of like homicidal publicity stunts for his book, for his essay, you know, because yeah. what, what, what was, what yeah. was the end? What was the end demand? Okay. I'll stop doing this. If you put it's me in the newspaper in, in what was it? The times? Like if he was, a, if he was slight, like if he was like the original FBI profilers thought, and he was like some truck driver or something, like it would have just been like, l- let me go on Oprah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like It, it would have been that different. Well, and it is kind of, I mean, it's funny because his career spanned a long time and he definitely didn't take his own advice. Like, you know, he's like in prison writing about building revolutionary structures, but he really eschewed doing any of that kind of work at all when he was actually out and about blowing people up. And so I really feel like, you know, like of all the like little Ted K cults that have formed since his arrest, I really do feel like those people in like Mexico and I think somewhere else in Latin oh, America, God. Yeah. the individuals tending towards the wild or whatever. No, I feel like they most clearly embody what Ted Kaczynski is actually like, which is not at all, uh, you know, following the course of his like revolutionary doctrine, but it's just kind of emulating his behavior. Like they're just at the point where right. they're like, well, we're just lashing out. And, and he, he also did say things to that effect uh, in his diaries and stuff when he was doing what he was doing, you know, that he was just, that he, he had no broader aspirations and he was just taking revenge and stuff like that, you know, which. Huh. So, so that revanchism makes him as a figure much more important than he is as a thinker. Like, I think so. Yeah. Again, yeah, I, yeah. I find, I find his, as a thinker, he's really reiterating what feels to me like some very standard fare. It's just how he approached embodying that philosophy in the real world that somewhat distinguishes him. I, I will say that like this, this is more like, this is more of like a spelled out strategy document than I've seen from most kind of like, I don't know, leftist oriented like strategy people. And it's not because it's especially well-formed, it's just because most of the things I've seen on revolutionary strategy are mainly a sales pitch for like a specific thing. Um, this is a sales pitch for, for, it's thinks it's a specific thing. It's really more of like a, this is just like a, a, a broadly, I guess, like, I don't know. A lot of these seem like classical anarchist positions, I would say. Totally. Like, it just so happens that there's enough overlap between Leninism and old school Blancism that like, mm-hmm. that like you, you can draw on, um, you can draw on Lenin, like to talk about revolutionary organization. But in terms of tactics, like the people that would be attracted to Ted Kaczynski versus what he's actually saying. Like there's even a there's even a point in this book where he says, "Well, 
your revolutionary party is, you know, you know, if, if it's to be a legal organization, you can't do anything illegal. Like, and I just, yeah. I drew, I drew a little portrait of the Unabomber right next to it. So, okay. Boomer. Yeah. I like, I like the idea of like, like the, what we need is like a version of the Sierra club that wants to like nuke the planet. Yeah, <laughs> like not only we, we're not pro nuclear energy, we're pro nuclear bombs. Yeah, what we need is the Posadist Sierra Club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be yeah, that would be an amazing over because like, especially right now, we're seeing that like Germany is reopening coal plants because they closed the nuclear plants and there's an energy shortage because because your Euro- European Greens are like so you know it's it's probably they're like here they're Sierra whatever they have the, the version of the Sierra Club is probably controlled by boomers. We're still like, no, man, those nuclear's bad, you know? And so, like, it would be funny if, if the flip side became, like, I, I, no, we're pro-nuclear, not not power plants, nuclear weapons. <laughs> we have to nuke all this stuff and start over. That's not hard. <laughs> it's somehow not hard to see happening. Um, Arnold, how do you feel about Kaczynski's uh, summary execution of possible, al- like, alternative energy sources? Uh, is that in the main body of the text, or was that like wandered into one of his appendices? I don't. Yeah, I, I think it's buried in appendix. I, but again, I'm pretty sure I could anticipate these because I doubt they strayed that far from arguments that I've heard in the past, which are, well, this just okay. This really gets into this whole thing. Like, I'm a very infrastructurally and logistically focused person. Like, that's just. That's just how like my like quote unquote career politically played out is like really obsessing about a lot of infrastructure. And so for me, that gets into this whole like, like the point of saying, you know, why do we have to accept a given technological threshold and like everything it entails or whatever, is that I've always approached this from this perspective of like, there are certain things we just shouldn't be doing that we can make really clear arguments for now that are not nearly as abstract as like, technology inevitably results in servitude or whatever. There are things like we shouldn't blow the top of that mountain off to get the coal underneath it or whatever. And I've always really believed in like, I guess like I believe that the human journey is fundamentally one of innovation and that I would just like to impose constraints on like resource extraction, basically, you know, on on how, but you know, there's that whole thing, like there really is creativity within certain types of constraint. You know, anybody who makes art knows some version of this. And like, you know, like I've always had a knee-jerk reaction to knee-jerk reactions to like any energy source is definitely doomed to like, I mean, like scientists, scientists like what, 2019, 2020 figured out a protein that they could actually derive like electricity from, you know, like we don't, we have no way of knowing in, in the same sense that nobody could have predicted this technosphere with any real precision like we just have no way of knowing what's possible and so i take a much more like like there's just some things that we should stop doing and then within those constraints we should see what's possible it's easier for me to define and be actually concrete about for all that kaczynski supposedly loves being concrete i can be like turn that off and turn that off and stop doing that and it's a lot easier than being like let's end technology whatever the fuck that means yeah, well, and the, isn't there a part where he goes like full Trump, where he's like, "The windmills are killing the birds. <laughs> They're bad for the birds. They look terrible." Well, and that, that's also um, 
one of the things that he's really big about is that creating the windmills require or creating solar panels requires rare earth minerals, which means nuclear waste, uh, because the mining for rare earth minerals is, you know, creates nuclear waste. Um, yeah, look, I, I can't like, ju- I can't really judge the quality of these arguments. There is no such thing as clean energy. I mean, that's true, but it's like, you know, at, at this point, at least for me, I guess my single minded focus would be, you know, let's get some of that carbon out of the atmosphere, you know? And so we're gonna have to use some dirty energy, but just not stuff that puts more in the at- more of that carbon in the atmosphere, or that much more. Well, I, I think I think this this makes me want to pivot a page or so that I know you both didn't read. It's the very last bit in the book. It's called the Long Term Outcome of Geoengineering, Appendix Four. I think I'll, I'll just like read part of this out loud. In two thousand nine, a correspondent asked me whether I thought nuclear weapons were the most dangerous aspect of technology. What follows is my reply, heavily rewritten. The most dangerous aspect of modern technology probably is not nuclear weapons. It could plausibly be argued that the remedies for global warming that are likely to be adopted constitute the most dangerous aspect of modern technology. Nations have a strong incentive to avoid using nuclear weapons, at least on any large scale, because such use would probably be suicidal. This doesn't mean that nuclear war can never happen. On the contrary, The risk of it is very real. But a major nuclear war, at least, is not a strong probability in the foreseeable future. On the other hand, it is virtually certain that nations will fail to reduce their emissions of carbon dioxide sufficiently in time to prevent global warming from becoming disastrous. Instead, global warming will be kept in check through geoengineering. This means that the Earth's climate will be artificially managed to keep it within acceptable limits. And then he goes into you know, a couple of things, you know, a couple specifics, but whatever. Any attempt at geoengineering will entail a grave risk of immediate catastrophe. Novel technological solutions usually have to be corrected repeatedly through trial and error. Rarely do they work the first time and just right. That's why people rightly see geoengineering as a scary thing. But let's assume it does work for the first time and just right. Even so, there is reason to expect that the longer term consequences will be catastrophic. The first is pretty much the inverse of what you just said, Arnold. It's not not only will attempts to meddle with the environment have unforeseen undesirable consequences. We have to imagine that everything we do will have in like in response to those unforeseen undesirable consequences will have, you know, equally as as many like unforeseen undesirable uh, possibilities tied to it. And then second, he makes this other point about complex organisms and the Earth's climate not being able to be managed by independent local groups and having to be managed, you know, as a rapid worldwide communication. And management of the Earth's climate will be dependent on technological civilization, but that this civilization will break down. And so the system of human climate management will necessarily break down too. And then the earth will spiral out of control. Um, And then the third, which is the worst thing, the thing that he hates the most. When earth has a managed climate, maintenance of the technological system will be considered essential for survival. Because as has just been pointed out, the breakdown of the technological system will probably lead to radical and fatal disruption of the climate. The elimination of the technological system through revolution or by any other means would be almost equivalent to suicide. 
because the system will be seen as indispensable for survival, will be virtually immune to challenge. So for me, the big argument against this line of thinking is that we've already entered that phase yeah. with, the, with the construction yeah. of nuclear power plants. Yeah. We actually do need like technologically yeah. competent administrative entities to prevent, you know, events that would make Earth truly uninhabitable, like right away. And so we kind of lose literally nothing and potentially gain, you know, survivability <laughs> by adding a, a climate management regime to the repertoire of things that we're already doing. So he is really huffing on some copium even harder than we thought. <laughs> Where he's like, no, it's our last chance. We can, if we do this right now, like we could still we could still go back to like just having just fishing and, you know, like living off the berries in the land. Well, and that seriously probably is a consequence of what we were talking about. Like he went to prison in fucking 1996 or whatever it was, right? And like, honestly, Ted Kaczynski may have less of an understanding of how severe the territory we've progressed into is when he's writing this than a lot of people on the outside who just mm. like have the internet, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, almost for certain. Almost for certain, that yeah. That's what makes me sympathetic to him in a way is just that he did it before it was cool. Like, and you know, before everyone was a doomer, this, you know, this was like, Hey, I, you know, I like learned a bunch of stuff and I know that like the truth about the physical world and it's terrifying help, you know? And, uh, he's probably the most extreme case in point of the failure to do science communication. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> in a sense, you know, like if, if he had just waited like five years, he could have had like a real kick-ass like blog. You know what I mean? He would have been able to communicate with like a lot of people. You know, may maybe you wouldn't have to do something, you know, super extreme for attention. Well, if he was smart too, he would have been like, we need to destroy the infrastructure of industrial society, starting with prisons, specifically the one I'm in. So if you guys could get going on that, that'd be great. Yeah. No, but I think he would think of ending prison as a distraction from the, from the goal. So no, yeah. don't free me. Yeah. You know, you have to be single-minded in, in your pursuit of a mealy-mouthed goal. I am your Blanky. Get me out of here. Yeah. Well, and as kind of a counter to that, though, like, he definitely was aware of the Earth First movement. And at that, at that uh, especially in the 80s, the Earth First movement really was capable of gaining national media attention for literally just being like, we don't believe in industrial civilization. We, we're anti-technology. We think it should all be burned down. And then like dropping a banner or something, right? you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. sitting down in a logging road, you know, like, like they, and really like managed to like create this whole crazy national dialogue. Um, and, you know, I mean, and some other stuff happened too, like some bulldozers got set on fire or whatever, but Ted Kaczynski did that yeah. stuff too. Like he totally, in a lot of ways, I feel really emulated a lot of like the radical environmentalism of his time in a pretty direct way. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, in, in a weird way, as the ecological crisis has worsened, there's been less of a willingness of mainstream media to talk about how anybody might like critique technology itself or, you know, like to like discuss radical positions with respect to it. I, I kind of don't think the dialogue is there because a lot of it is pro-tech, anti-tech. Yeah, else. yeah, exactly. And, and like, I, I first ran into people that would say this in the Bay Area and 
I kind of didn't believe them because I, I don't know. But I don't, I don't think – I went through a change, though. I realized that, like, wow, you know, the boomers are kind of right about social media and, how, God, how much of, you know, industrial civilization – is that true about? And it's like, I kind of already knew that, but I'm like, yeah, but, I, but you kind of like things that are bad for you. And mm-hmm. especially when it's the only thing that's there, like, and yeah. God, American culture is really good at that. Like, you know, well, the only thing that's there is self-destructive. Are you going to do something or not? Um, you know, so because overwhelmingly, like, especially with the recent shift in American electoral politics, I, you know, we talked a little bit before, how like it does seem how, like a lot of mainstream liberals are realizing why just voting harder won't stop this rightward ratchet that the radicals have totally been right about. And if I was, you know, a mainstream Democrat, as you know, I, as I was at one point, you know, I was just like an Obama Democrat that was like, well, I, I sure hope he gets his own goals done. We put the party in a pretty good position. They should be able to, you know, carry out their own goals. And I did not yet realize that. The Democrats can accomplish goals that both parties want, and they can do that better than the Republicans can. That's why uh, the Black Agenda Report refers to them as the the more effective of two evils. But the Republicans are are more classically Leninist. They have a they have a program, and if you're not in with the program, you know we're going to whip you into shape. Um, they have, they have a program, and they have a, a oddly coherent class politics. <laughs> Yeah. And so they're capable of pursuing their own goals <laughs> mm-hmm. apart from the Democrats. They don't need the Democrats' uh, permission to do anything they want to do necessarily, uh, especially on the state level. And so the Democrats have actually been fundamentally been fine with this. And if I, you know, if I was in that position, like I was, you know, in 2008, I would now turn to the radical left and be like, well, we're all out of ideas over here on the electoral left or whatever on the Democrat left. So radical left, what revolutionary strategy and tactics do you have? You you people, you know, you you talk all about, you're always talking about this stuff. Surely you have like some kind of worked out body of strategy and tactics. Do do we, so do we feel like you'd be, it's a good idea to hand them and say, look them squarely in the eye and say, read this. It'll change your life and hand them anti-tech revolution. (laughs) You're like, uh, you, you well, I mean, confident that that's yeah, like I mean, a big primer. There is what I see as like the actual answer now. I mean, at what people are saying, at least, uh, it seems to be sort of like like either we need to run like more radical candidates, or we'll actually do shit, or it's like this kind of vague turn to labor, where it's like we need like you know we need unions or something, <laughs> which it, which isn't wrong. No, no, great. I'm glad that I'm really. I'm very happy that unions are back, but I don't expect them to solve this problem right now. There's just no way for organized labor to take the central role that it had before. And we kind of need to accept just because, because of, because we live in a more integrated world and that kind of labor is tied to like a, a certain nationalism that you used to be able to take for granted that the ruling class doesn't need anymore. Like doesn't need that kind of class compact. And, you know, being super salty about it and thirsting for it makes you kind of reactionary. So no use, no use, like, crying over that. We have to, like, you know, move forward and think about something. But you, right, but you do need, like, 
you do need a working yeah you need like a working class agency and you need people to have a self-conception of themselves as working class people because that's what they actually are yeah and and if and if you're telling me that right now everyone that cares about abortion is going to go organize their workplaces and then you know use you know labor unions as this platform for abortion rights because in organized labor surely everyone will understand the universal class interest that people have in abortion rights i i just think that that's you know there's there's you know a, a sort of short-term medium-term instrumental rationality problem right there. well the thing is like short-term me- even medium-term it's objectively fucked mm-hmm. so it's like 100 percent like if people are pursuing that strategy and like, and th- then they're a believer in like the universal class interests that, you know, has as part of it, like uh, the autonomy of, 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 uh, you know, women and trans people. I'm like, I'm, I'm hundred percent on board with that. And I would love to see it. Like, I, please sign me up for that reality and not politics and that world. Like if, if you can make those coalitions happen, I'm like right there. Right. Um, I mean, the thing is like, they push things to a point where it's almost easier to imagine just like having a constitutional convention and you know changing the f- structure of the federal government as it is to making like abortion rights legal nationally again in this what like we are more like we are about as likely to overthrow like ever have a collective pissing on the constitution right. and in state like an an alien god as our as our perfect as our permanent god emperor as we are to have another constitutional convention well, that's what i'm saying it's about as that's about as realistic at this point as legalizing abortion at a federal level in within the next you know 30 years yeah so yeah we, we might as well just think big and, and think you know broader than fucking settler nationalism you know like right well the the only thing that is potentially good here is that this might create more space for like a genuinely oppositional politics right, right. yeah and like, instead of just like the, the alt-right getting to feel like that they're you know the cool domestic terrorists because they're you know they're writing to uncle ted you know i bet uncle ted would totally love all this fucking right-wing reactionary shit he would be totally down with it like yeah did dear uncle ted did yeah. i hope they're treating you well in prison did you get my frogs yeah. <laughs> do you think do you think my frogs are based based means good if nobody's told you that yet yeah it's in crayon yeah i, <laughs> I hope you liked my pairing of your anti-tech uh stuff with this stuff about how the uh the last jedi doesn't count as a real star wars movie like, <laughs> yeah i i think you can see where the, these two things go hand in hand and yeah. you will appreciate it. Signed with love. Well, so, all right. So, I don't know. I, I've read these two contemporary books on revolutionary strategy. This one at least lays out, like, a kind of deranged, but, you know, coherent uh, anarchist perspective. I mean, like, that is essentially what it ends up doing. Because, like, when you, talk to, when you talk to people that have gone through the whole, like, ultra-left Marxist, anti-state, this, whatever... Like you know, the 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 left hand path of Marxism, or if you talk to people that have been like deep into anarchism or, or related kind of circles for a while, the kind of revolutionary theory is more or less these principles. It's really going to be hard to know what you, you're going to do. You you don't want to argue for something like you you want to have some kind of goal in mind that you can like lay out in an elevator pitch. Um, 
you don't like don't build something that's going to do the goal build the goal otherwise you're deceiving yourself right like oh we're gonna what i want is that is b so i'm going to build a which will lead to b you know that's just that's a deception um and what was the last one something about self-prop systems we didn't get into his concept of natural selection which is the most oh yeah. yeah that like if there's one thing that he actually shares with the re- the sort of neo-reactionaries that he likes is the conflation of natural selection in a Darwinian evolutionary biology context with markets and, and um, sort of other, I would say other cybernetic operating circuits, but I think I might be imputing more reason to him than I'm giving him credit for because he doesn't really think of like a central bureaucracy as being like, like a modern incentive structure that has its own selection mechanisms, right? He thinks of uh, he thinks of states as just not being subject to natural selection because there's not enough variety or something. Whereas when I look at like the Stalinist bureaucracy, I see a terrifying modern ecosystem right. um, w- that has its own incentive structures, and you know it's not so static. Like um, it's it's it you know. State bureaucracies are this weird pair of bourgeois, like it's not market, but it's like, it's a modern, it's a form of modern incentive structure that has its own feedback loops that is comparable to markets and, you know, cybernetic, like engagement algorithms or something else like that, that have their own selection mechanisms or whatever. I think there's a really interesting way you can talk about all of this. And then there's a kind of dumb flattening way that you can just all say it's natural selection <laughs> or maybe some of it isn't natural. States not, there's no natural selection there, but uh, you know, this is all natural selection. Uh, the one thing I'll give Ted props for is that he is obviously not a social Darwinist because he hates the outcome <laughs> of evolution by this paradigm. <laughs> so, so he actually just has like just mind numbing resentment for anyone who wins the outcome of this, these incentive, these incentive structures that are, you know, cause I don't know in my mind's eye, if I think of a primitivist, I'm thinking of someone who may feel this way about the modern incentive structures, but like not feel this way about the winners of Darwinian evolution before capitalism or before, you know, civilization, you know, I would think that you would lionize, you know, so I think some, some primitivists might be, might be interested in what type of person prevails, you know, and have a sort of, sort of social Darwinist ethos about that. But Ted Kaczynski doesn't have, like, he just smooths over that capacity by being like, nah, this is all fucking natural selection. You think I love the outcome of natural selection? This whole planet is going to be rendered like uninhabitable to humans. Self-prop systems are cancers. Like he hates the winners of quote natural selection. And I kind of think that that's, that that's a very counter based thing of him to do. You know what I mean? That's like a very not fascist way to look at the world. (laughs) Yeah. It's also really, I mean, I just, I actually, I thought that was kind of the best section of the book in some ways. And it's like probably what I'll quote in the future when, because people usually land on one or two descriptive levels. They'll either be like, the trajectory we're on is inevitable because of something intrinsic to humans or intrinsic to organisms, or I guess there's three, or intrinsic to like, like Ted K says, you know, self-propagating systems, or they'll 
They'll just mm -hmm. be like, insert some systems theory gibberish here. Right. This trajectory is inevitable. But I think that actually his is the best one of those I've ever read. And yeah. at any point where I need to make a counter to that, like his language is really concise. I like the terminology, self-propagating systems. Uh -huh. It's actually better than the the people who invoke systems theory usually land on something that's just too fucking long. Um, you know, so I, so I like that. I thought I thought that section was actually like the the best case study I've encountered of like that general that that whole genre of thinking or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's not bad. Like as far as trying to articulate what the hell a cybernetic feedback loop is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my critique is, is more on that level of, you know, fudging what is natural selection and what right. is social selection and, and, you know, and thinking about like states in continuity with that, you know, because, you know, a bureaucracy definitely selects for certain types of people. Like, right. it totally does. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, that, that, that's, those are my, uh, you know, minor complaints there. So he's got, he's got some philosophy of science stuff. So, so the high points of this anti-tech revolutionary manifesto is the philosophy of science. That's standing with faint praise. For it's so. Yeah. Well, and, like, yeah. And where he talks about the government mind control devices. It's just <laughs> yeah, like. I, I did like that. And that, I think that gives Jake, Jake, I think that's the sentence. Yeah. That really gives you your. Uh, Lends a lot of credibility to the bad mm -hmm, thesis for mm -hmm. sure. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and he would know too. He, you know? he, pro well, he probably experienced some firsthand. Well, he, he, uh, unlike some of our favorite theorists, he doesn't cite a dream he once had in his footnotes. He cites, I think, The Economist and Newsweek and another article. I think they're all, it's just like a, some series of puff pieces about something. Probably all I could read in, in you know, the slammer. Like, yeah. So I don't know. You know maybe you know blame it on the uh media environment that he's in for believing in mind control devices <laughs> my lord so here's what i say free teddy k free teddy k free teddy k i mean he went and got himself free you know <laughs> yeah he's no longer a self-propagating system yeah man he's not domesticated He's like a he's like a he's like an an he's like a tiger at the zoo, that's waiting to strike. Yeah, ride the tiger. Yeah, I'll kill you. <sighs> yeah, well, Ted, I hope you don't hear this. Uh, let's see, what else we got to say? Oh, you know, he's uh, he's really big on the technological prowess of the Soviet Union. He's, he, he, you know, he thinks they're a really good example of why being anti-capitalist and anti-tech is a distraction. Uh, like, uh, you know, there's no capitalism in the Soviet Union. I think that's a, you know, it's a fairly standard uh, line. I, I kind of go with it. It's a Moscow line. So, uh, yeah. It, of course, you know, before before Khrushchev, of course, the, the restoration has passed it. I, uh, I don't know. So, so are, are we still lost in the wilderness? We don't have anything to give to liberals and be like, look, I, I know you, you're ready. You're ready for the wisdom. It's time. It's time for the, the wisdom of our ancestors. Here it is. Because I, I do, this is one of three books I can think of that does outline some kind of like quote revolutionary strategy, makes an argument for, for it. And is, 
because he's so mealy-mouthed about technology, it's it's easily like it's easily adaptable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's good for us that he's not so like clear on his goal, and that he just parrots a bunch of communists because it, it, that, that's nice and comfy. Okay, like. <laughs> So, like, I can see how somebody that this like articulates some basic principles of revolutionary strategy that most most anarchists, I think, <laughs> most anarchists. I, I don't want to speak for all anarchists, but it is a coherent anarchist theory of revolution, like, and it's and it's an old one, and like you're saying, it's not like a special one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not articulated in especially like leftist way. You know, that's, Ted K is very proud of this. But it's kind of just all over the um, the genealogy of the of the arguments. Uh, it's just where where the arguments are from that makes it what it is. Um, and I guess if I had to point you three books on on revolutionary strategy written in the twenty first century, you know, I could point to like some reformist view of strategy. Probably Eric Holen, right? You know, someone that's like, we just got to work with the Democrats and we could do a revolution. Um, then uh, someone like uh, Mike McNair that's like, we need to have left unity and, you know, <laughs> we're going to have, we're going to turn this reactionary butthole of alienated people into something really functional. Um, and, well, then, I mean... and then there's something like this. And that, I think, I think that pretty much is the, <laughs> this is, am I, am I, am I being too deflationary because I'm having a hard time thinking of, of who's like laid out strategic visions. I mean, like the thing is, though, like this, this, this can't be that. This can't be what you're looking for. I don't know if anything could be, you know. Like there needs to be, there needs to be something determinate that is the raw material that you make that thing you're talking about out of, you know. Like we can, we can point to what the problems are. We can point to how, you know, like the federal government and its structure has created like these political incentives. That are and now it's created this. It brought us to this point where you know it looks like the Republicans will be able to kind of sew things up to where voting really won't matter in any kind of substantial sense. Like we we could we could point this stuff out, but we don't really have a model because that requires that requires people to you know do something about it, and then you know we could play like an advisory role based on the understanding that we've developed about you know studying these different things. Because, like, this book can't even be what, like, Teddy K wants it to be. Like, you know, if there was, like, if, you know, Elf and, like, the Earth First movement and all that stuff had continued to grow exponentially and, you know, built from where it was that then to now and was growing, yeah, okay, maybe you could hand this to them as some kind of a thing. But, like, that's not the case. I'm not even sure how helpful it would be to them because it's all just very long. It's just it's extremely long view stuff. And then like, yeah, I don't know, maybe try to infiltrate the Earth First Journal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, just be really like ruthless and single minded, you know, like Lenin. Oh, man, like Lenin. No, Lenin. Lenin was a great anarchist. Like, well, I mean, to some extent, I just really think that he returns to Lenin and a few other examples like that so much. Not so much because he's enamored of them strategically in any concrete sense, but literally just because he, he he admires their temperament, right? He's like, mm-hmm. because they're ruthless, single-minded, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's really what he's saying should be emulated. Yeah, another thing is, is he appeals to 
the way that communist infiltrators and entryists yeah. were very good <laughs> at winning over their comrades for having good work ethic and being all being all about the organizations they were a part of, being a truly loyal organization person. I mean, he's not wrong about that. Like, you you have to have a good work ethic if you want to be like influential, you know, of other people in any context. You know. So, so what you're telling me is that Ted Kaczynski wants me to learn to code, enthusiastically participate in industrial capitalism. Okay, and so to insert myself in the right place. I mean, you know, either that or you know, like I don't know. Because what, I, I was planning. I listen. I was planning on doing that anyway. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to yeah. get my life together. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could probably write him. He probably, you know, he'd probably he would probably say something like, "I want to." No, no joke. He probably would say something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, I thought of writing him. I, I just I don't know what I'd say. You know, mm-hmm. like I kind of I, I the one of the questions that I wanted to ask him, I'm not going to waste his time with. I think I know what he, he thinks about all the Nazis that write him. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I, by reading this book, I think I get it. Like, um, like I can, I can, I think I can imagine it now. Yeah. So what, what else would you, what else would you write? If you're going to write a letter, I feel, I almost feel like that's for a whole nother episode because it goes into one of my favorite speculative you know, problematic nineties theories. I think, I think he'll be remembered as like, as an important philosopher. I know that sounds fucking stupid, but like the nineties were stupid. If you live through, if you live through any part of the nineties and I have some like dim flickering bits of watching the car, the Beetlejuice cartoon, you know, on, on the way out of the nineties. And so I, I could tell you that it was fucking, you know, very stupid. Um, but you know, it was one of those things that definitely like pierced the veil. Being like, what do you mean the climate is not? I remember hearing about this and being like, well, yeah, there is that guy, the Unabomber. He's, wow, he's really crazy. It's like, well, what did he do? He's like, well, he sent some bombs to people. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah, wow, that's terrible. It's like, well, why did he do it? Oh, well, don't you know about climate change? No, what's that? Mm-hmm. And then you learn what it is. And he's like, oh, so that's why he did it? Huh, it kind of puts everything in perspective a little bit. Like, even as a kid, I was like, well, I was conflicted. There's that scene in Star Trek The Next Generation where Data is asking Picard about, you know, Daddy, what's terrorism? Like, and, you know, Picard quotes Mao and talks about how, you know, well, it was useful for getting Ireland back together in 2024. Like, um, but you know, I'm you know I'm not into that shit. But you know, that's one of those deep human questions, Data. I can't answer it. I'm not going to stand here and say terrorism is wrong, like yeah, <laughs> Picard. <laughs> it's like I'm not going to stand here and condemn terrorism. You know, like what? Yeah, I mean, you know, Picard says, you know, it was a lot of petty bourgeoisie working in those towers. You know, <laughs> those people weren't innocent. <laughs> Commander Data, hip hop cheered on that day. <laughs> yeah, apparently, oh, apparently Teddy also he was he was boys with McVeigh. Ah, uh, that's that. That makes sense. See, Ted, you, you, you're watering down your brand, man. Well, they, yeah, in prison though. In prison, real convoluted. Oh, uh, that makes sense. I mean, okay. prison right. is prison. You do what you do to survive. You, you know who else is boys with McVeigh? Uh, Gore Vidal. 
Gore Vidal started a correspondence with McVeigh, and every every chance he like he, he kind of went on like he had some he went on Good Morning America one time and tried to talk about it and, and like he tried to talk about how like McVeigh saw what he did as as vengeance on the federal government for Waco and they cut him off before he could actually like say that on on TV and he was always really pissed about that. Wow. Yeah. If, see, M- McVeigh is an un. It seems to me like an uncomplicated madman. Like wh- what most people characterize Kaczynski as, I think McVeigh is. Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know, when I read Ted Kaczynski, I'm like, okay, this guy did do uh, you know mathematics at UC Berkeley. I could see that this this guy did solve some proofs in number theory. Like. Well, McVeigh was co- was connected to like militia types too. There's been a lot of speculation that he was not acting alone. Um, that's a, that's another narrative that, that that's also another thing that Vidal tried to push, but they wouldn't let him say it on television. Gore Vidal was also big on Timothy McVeigh's contribution to abstract algebra. No wait, nope. Sorry, Timothy McVeigh doesn't have the chops. <laughs> yeah, can't do it. I don't know. That's 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 always going to be the most impressive thing for me with Ted Kaczynski is that. You know, the man can write a, a number theory proof. All right. Well, any 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 parting thoughts? Any parting thoughts, Arnold? Anything we didn't cover? Neither madman nor genius. That's yeah. my parting thought. Just uncle. Just just yeah, just anarchy anarchy grandpa. Anarchy, anarchy grandpa whose explosive temper sometimes comes out on other anarchy grandpas. <laughs> oh yeah. Honestly, well, the, re- the reason it's not, not an excuse for his behavior. It's just, you know, just what it is. The reason he's bad to me is he doesn't respect women. That's uh, to me. That's really the most problematic thing about him. He, he has a weird lingering respect for uh, feminism when it was revolutionary. Uh, that comes across in this and in I mean, industrial society I mean, in the future. I mean, yeah, Tim Pool says that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when Tim Pool says it, I think he's just. I don't know, pulling some like turf talking points before, you know, positioning back to anti-feminism. Whereas Ted Kaczynski like lived in Berkeley. I kind of, I kind of buy it. He was probably, you know, he's probably in that like psychologist's office being like, damn it, I can't transition because that would be like betrayal to the sisterhood or something. <laughs> oh God, that'd be, that, that would be a tragedy. I think I, that was, that was the reason. Just, like mumbling some turf shit to themselves being like, <sighs> No, I, you know I can't let industrial society trans me. Yeah. Anyway, that's 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 for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that'll be the, that'll be the conclusion of the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This we'll, has we'll get, been. We'll get, we'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, we'll get to the bottom of this. No pun intended. And uh, in the conclusion of this trilogy, this has been Uncle Ted's bogus journey. And that's it for this time. Thanks again to Arnold for sitting in with us. If you want to uh, get a hold of us, you can email us at swapsidechats at gmail.com or hit us up on any of the various uh, socials. If you want to support the show, check out our Patreon. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So, until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.